0: Our small 80, 90 years here are put in perspective when we look outside of ourselves. And you just have to be open to that. And I think once you are and you can appreciate what you bring, you also see what others bring. And when you can put that together, it's working together, leveraging the strengths, leveraging the weaknesses that we find okay, I have something I can give, but also there's a lot here that I'm open to receiving because I don't know it all. And you just have, it's that humility.
1: Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions, a podcast that takes an honest yet hopeful look at the things that the church does in the name of missions. A podcast that seeks to inspire Christ followers to rethink the status quo of short-term missions and to forge a better way forward. We feature frank conversations with people from all over the world, those who go on mission trips and those who host them. And we don't shy away from tackling the hard and uncomfortable questions. Questions like, what if short-term missions were focused on long-term objectives? What if short-term teams began to measure their success, not on the scope of the work projects completed or the number of people evangelized, but instead on the establishment of authentic, collaborative, long-term relationships? between communities of Christ followers in different locations around the globe? And might it be possible for Christ followers in wealthier nations to become humble enough to acknowledge their need of churches in less developed countries, and even to become receivers of short-term teams from those countries? I'm Forrest Inge, the professor of global studies at Northwest University in Seattle and co-editor of the book Reimagining Short-Term Missions. In this episode, I'll be in conversation with Robert Ketende, founder of Psalm Chess Academy, a ministry to impoverished youth in Uganda. Notably, Robert is the chess coach whose life and ministry were the subject of the Disney film Queen of Katwe. He is also a writer for the book Reimagining Short-Term Missions. In his chapter, called Reframing Short-Term Trips Through Authentic Relationships, he makes the case that the most important function of short-term mission teams is not the work they do or the resources they bring. Instead, short-term missions should be understood as the platform for building long-term relationships between communities of Christ followers in different parts of the world. In his work with Ugandan youth, Robert models the idea that churches and ministries in developing nations can and should be supporting churches in developed nations. To learn more about this sort of reverse missions, we'll also be talking to Vinita and Sydney Gardner, who have worked with Robert to adapt the Psalm Chess Academy model of ministry from Kampala to their own context in Baltimore. Friends, there are better ways to love and serve the world, and it starts with courageous conversation. Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions. Welcome, Robert. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about your work and about short-term missions. To begin, I'd like to read from the beginning of your chapter in Reimagining Short-Term Missions. You write, it's important to ask if STM trips are effective. However, we must first determine what do we mean by the term "effective" because how we judge an STM or program can really depend on one's cultural lens. Visitors from Western contexts are very often focused on efficiency and on the best investment of resources, most often financial resources as well as temporal. This approach usually entails targeting these resources towards specific projects. Many voices now question the effectiveness of STM by looking at their project efficiency. When it comes to gauging the impact of short-term mission trips, how do teams currently measure their effectiveness, and should they, in fact, be defining effectiveness according to different, better standards?
2: Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Nsui, for the question. For sure, I think uh, I what I meant by uh, effect, if, effectiveness uh, is like... Um, when people engage on short term missions, they feel like uh, we are going in to fix the situation. And uh, they are always looking at that kind of uh, in that kind of lens that, okay, what can we do to fix this? And they think because it's a short term mission, it's like two weeks, three weeks, even if it's like one month, you cannot really solve a problem that has existed for generations in that time period. So, I wanted real to see that possibly I'm not uh, against the short term missions, but it's just like it is more like just a platform to connect, to engage, but it's not a situation that can fix uh, the whole problem that is existing. So, I felt like the efficiency it calls for is like someone to simply take it as not 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 as a project, but uh, instead as um, a measure. To, to engage and start long-lasting relationships that can lead to the impact and the transformation that they desire to see. So that's why I feel that sometimes people say, oh, we are going, we did go. So they feel like it's going to be a short term as just the trip kind of steps. But I think it is way much bigger than that, and we, we need just to have that at the back of our minds that we are getting in and this is simply a platform to figure out ways on how we can plug in and be uh, supportive in a long term.
1: Part of the measure of efficiency and effectiveness is actually knowing what the problem is, understanding the problem so that you can see whether there are actually working solutions being put into play. And you make a really interesting point about the way that at some of these sending organizations understand poverty. And, and and I think you are, you are asserting that maybe their understanding of poverty is actually not complete. Um, you say that poverty is not only about a lack of financial resources, but is also a condition of broken relationships. And I'm wondering if you can explain that a little bit. To the Western ear, I think poverty and broken relationships is not something we put together uh, naturally, it's not uh, how we've come to understand poverty. We, we tend to understand it more as lack of resources. How would you redefine that, though, poverty?
2: Uh, I totally agree that poverty in most cases, I would say maybe to the layman's understanding, they can easily relate it to finances. But I think it is just a section of what actually the whole what poverty could really entail. Uh, That's why for us, when we engage in uh, this work, we try to look at even the mindset, because I don't know that you've heard of people we have a poverty mentality. No matter how much you can inject, no matter how much money you can give someone with a poverty mentality, they cannot do good uh, out of whatever funding and resources you are availing. So I'm looking at it uh, to be more relational. There are so many other things. Like, how do you manage? How do you do this? So, we're learning from one another, and that has to come in from a relational point of view more than just um, a, a give and take kind of situation. I uh, see uh, that the relationship is very, very, very important, and I always value that more than anything, even when, because we've had several setbacks where many uh, people have injected a lot of resources in certain projects and they never work out. Why? Because they kind of overlook the I call what I call the fundamental, which is the relationship. Because if I have a meaningful relationship with Dr. Ginsley, and uh, I know I value that more than the resources, the, the money, I'll always do whatever it takes to say, okay, what do I need to learn from him? What does he need to learn from me? How can we uh, help one another? How can... So even when these resources do come in, of course you cannot rule them out, but you are handling them from the perspective of valuing the relationship to simply continue to nurture that relationship of growing together, of achieving things together, of learning from one another.
1: Clearly you're pointing out some some basic truths that I think that, that sending teams sending organizations really ought to be learning and it's difficult to learn those things especially outside of of context so in the chapter that you wrote for reimagining short-term missions you write that uh, in fact visitors from the west have much to learn from your context so i'm i'm wondering what does uh, some chess academy offer to teach those who are teachable And what happens when you're working with people who aren't so teachable?
2: Number one, uh, when you go to short-term missions and you have this one-sided kind of approach, I'm going to help, it kind of blinds off the other side where you need also to learn and open that other lens of learning. What do I need to learn from these people? So sometimes people come when they are mono, kind of dimensional and they see things just like as as saviors, as people who are coming to fix a situation. And uh, in most cases, I always encourage, especially those who come to serve with us, I encourage them to be open-minded, to actually find out what God is speaking to them in this particular mission and when they are in the field, how God is speaking to them. Because many of them actually who have opened up that kind of lens, they have even gotten visions to even end up starting the same ministry work back in their countries. We have several of those who have done that, but simply because they were prepared not to be uh, coming in as fixers, but coming in to relate and see what they can contribute and how much they can also learn from the field, possibly to even apply in their own communities.
1: So, in your chapter, you use the term co-powerment, as others do in the book. And I'm curious, what does the word co-powerment mean to you? And how does that that practice of co-powerment get modeled in your organization's work with STM teams?
2: Yeah, thank you very much. I think co-powerment is more like a new terminology that has actually, I think, been initiated through... Uh, uh, international community development work. Uh, but literally, it means more like, um, it's like just a dynamic mutual exchange uh, where uh, maybe two sides of a social equation all get to benefit and be stronger when they learn from each other. And when we come to short-term missions, it actually goes back to what I shared before, yes, that you come to be a blessing, you come to help. But you don't rule out the fact that you're also going to benefit and you're also going to be helped.
1: Robert, you're here in the States right now, essentially on a short-term trip from Uganda to Baltimore. Part of your time here is about building relationships and supporting ministries that are modeled after some Chess Academy in Kampala. That gives us a great opportunity right now to see your ideas in action. In particular, I want to go deeper into your view that when we look at short-term missions primarily as a means to form relationships with others in the global church, then the door is opened to service and ministry flowing both ways. To explore this intriguing possibility, I want to bring into the conversation Venita and Sydney Gardner, two friends and supporters of yours who have developed a long-term relationship with you through short-term visits to Kampala and also through your short-term visits to the U.S., Sydney and Vinita now support your work. Importantly though, your work in Kampala, Uganda inspired them to adapt your ministry model in order to serve youth in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome Sydney and Vinita. Thanks for joining us. I thought I would start off this part of our podcast conversation by reading something from Robert's chapter in the book Reimagining Short-Term Missions. He writes, I cannot overstate the joy and comfort I take in my friendships with people around the world who genuinely care about me and about our work. In the most difficult times, the knowledge that they stand with me is incredibly sustaining. From experience, I can say with my whole heart, we need international friends. We need each other. So, Venita, Sydney, let me ask you both. When it comes to cross-cultural engagement between different parts of the global church— You have an unusually reciprocal and co-equal relationship with Robert and his ministry. Would you describe that relationship and tell us a story about how it came to be?
0: It started with a movie. It started with Queen of Conway. And uh, first day post-retirement, what do you do? Okay, let's go to the movies. And we went to see Queen of Conway. And I was so, we were both, Sydney and I were so moved by the story. And so inspired. We had time. And we also had the desire to not only help Robert, but we saw the strength. And we saw the benefit of chess training and life skills training to help motivate young people. So we knew in... You know, Cindy and I one morning looked at each other and said, well, if it worked in Uganda, why can't it work in Baltimore? We can connect the two communities and help each other.
3: You know, talking about relationships and Robert in his book, the the chapter talks about building relationships. One of the things to build relationships is have something in common. And I saw chess as a way of doing that because I love to play chess. I'm not that good, but I play, and I enjoy the game. And what a common theme to bounce, to even start a relationship with or on is to have something in common. And that's what drew me to, to Robert and his organization and the work that he does. And so the work not only with that, but to help build young kids, which is another passion of mine, is working with young kids to try to make their lives a little better. So those, you know, in talking about building relationships, you gotta have something in common that that draws you to that other person.
1: Now, something very unusual has happened uh, in your m- relationship with Robert with Psalm Chess Academy, and that is that that the model that and the values that Psalm Chess Academy was modeling actually caused new ministry to start in the U.S. And so there was that reversal, really, of the traditional relationship, you know, where everything is one way from the giver to the receiver. But you and Venita have been really impacted uh, by the things that you've learned from Robert, from the Chess Academy, and have created ministries uh, in, in your context.
0: It was really feeling our common humanity, seeing that we here in America, have a lot we can give to the world. We also have a lot to learn from the world. Because, you know, you grow up in your own environment. That's what you know. That's how you move about. And when you, I, I you know, I see it in our chess students, when we open the world up to them, when life becomes bigger than their two or three blocks, where they live, or their small city community, and they get to step outside of that and see the kids or meet the kids virtually um, from Uganda. Or when we take them on field trips outside of the neighborhood, and they get to see that the world is bigger than their two or three blocks. They appreciate the common humanity that we all share on this little dust ball floating in the middle of nowhere. You know, our small 80, 90 years here are put in perspective when we look outside of ourselves. And you just have to be open to that. And I think once you are and you can appreciate what you bring, you also see what others bring. And when you can put that together, it's working together, leveraging the strengths, leveraging the weaknesses, That we find, okay, I have something I can give, but also there's a lot here that I'm open to receiving because I don't know it all. And you just have, it's that humility. You said it best when you open. You have to have the humility to understand that you really don't have all the answers. And you can't go, I mean, Robert tells, you know, says it himself if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, Go
1: to get. You may not realize how radical it is, this model that you're talking about, that sort of teachability and, and humility. Uh, it, I'll read something that Robert wrote, and Sidney, maybe you can co- comment on this. Uh, Robert wrote, when we have a right perspective of one another, we can begin to practice co-powering relationships and reframe expectations on both sides of the ministry equation. And that begins with the belief that we're members, members of one family in God, and partners in the mission of the Global Church. Though I use the terms, I'm not sure that sender or visitor or receiver or host are even very helpful in describing this dynamic. No matter who is traveling to where, both parties ought to be sending and receiving in some form, and both sides should be experiencing change from the process. Is that your experience?
3: Oh yeah, matter of fact, one of the things I want to say depends on your mindset. Because if I come in not having an idea of how this program can be helpful from my end, as well as from the recipient's end, then I'm sort of lost there. I'm I'm looking at it from, I guess, my own personal perspective and not how it can help others. So that's what I believe one of the things that has to happen is the person who's coming in needs to have an open mind, not only to see how... I can take this back to my community and improve my community, but how do I fit in on the other side to help improve the recipient's community? So I believe that that has to happen in terms of any kind of relationship that you develop. You have to start there as far as, I mean, in other words, how can I walk in your shoes as well as you walk in mine?
0: And, you know, Professor Inslee, one thing that we stress with the kids um, when we teach chess and cultural enrichment and life skills is we we build on the African concept of Ubuntu. Um, here in the United States and in Western cultures, we, you know, prize individualism. And we say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, I'm a... You know, going alone, self-made man and woman is praised in this culture. And it's a good thing. There are positives there. But we teach the kids also that the concept, African concept of Ubuntu, a person is not a person without other people. No man is an island. We stress that we work together, we fall together. We use chess to show, hey, you're going to protect your king. These pieces have to work in harmony. You have to strategize. You have to think it through. And you work as a team. This army is a team to reach the goal you work together. And so, you know, it's a culture change in that way. And and that makes our kids more receptive and open. And for us, you know, the children don't know a lot about the continent of Africa. Some even think it's a country. That's the first thing we teach. 54 (laughs) countries, one continent. And then we go about teaching about what we know of, or what we can research, of the different tribes. And we also have members of different communities, different countries, different tribes, different religions even come in so that kids can see, despite the differences, these are still people. These are human. There is
1: a common humanity here. Well, to close, I'm going to ask the three of you to do something. Uh, Thinking about who will be listening to this podcast, thinking about who will be reading the book, clearly there'll be people who understand that there has to be a change in short-term missions, and they may not know what that change looks like. So I'm going to ask each of you to make just one statement about short-term missions that you would want these people to hear and consider you know, as they rethink, reimagine what short-term mission could be. And maybe we could go, Sydney, Vanita, and then Robert, you can close with the one statement.
3: go in with an open mindset, you know, be willing to be flexible. Just have an open mindset in terms of, particularly when you're trying to find out something new or trying to develop that relationship with uh, someone you never met before.
0: I would suggest... That they preach often but use few words. Let your actions be your example. Let them see the light through you. Be the light where you are. Be kind, be loving. And a lot of times, you know, I understand you can step in it. You can, you know, you don't know that you're being rude or you're not intentionally you know, being condescending. Um, But when you lead with love and you lead with the intention of caring and giving, people can forgive
2: your stumbles. Short-term missions are good, but it's very important to always see uh, short-term missions as an opening to forging a long-lasting, impactful relationship that can benefit both sides of the social equation.
1: You've been listening to the Reimagining Short-Term Missions podcast. If you want to explore more diverse and challenging perspectives like this, check out a new book called Reimagining Short-Term Missions, which includes chapters written by our podcast guests and from many more STM innovators from around the world. Your podcast host is Forrest Inslee, co-editor of that book, and a professor of Global Studies at Northwest University in Seattle. Angel Burns is the book's co-editor, and our podcast producer is Heath Hollinsby. Friends, what we need now is nothing short of a revolution in short-term missions, so please help us spread the word by sharing this podcast with others of like heart and mind. This is the time for reimagining short-term missions.